Now that we've gotten through a lot of good stuff and rah-rah, we're going to get into the word. And today's word has been stirring inside of my heart for a little bit of time. And it's a rough one, so I want everybody to buckle up, because today's word's going to hit hard. Because we're going to talk about something that we all face, but none of us want to admit it. We're going to talk about something that creeps up on us very easily and can destroy us, and it's pride. See, none of us like to talk about the fact that we are somewhat prideful at times. None of us like to talk about the fact that pride overwhelms us and we think that we can do everything on our own. And let me give you a kind of a biblical definition of pride is this. It's putting your will before the will of God, above the will of God. So that's what pride is. Pride is saying, I know I can more so than what God can or what God says. And you know who is the biggest picture of the destruction of pride? Is Satan. For that was the sin that crept in that made him lose his position in heaven. As a matter of fact, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, 1 Timothy 3, 6, this is here giving the instructions of overseers in the church. And look at one of the instructions. That the overseer not be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. This is where it talks about the overseers in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be someone who just came to Christ. Why? Because they're not going to know how to handle a position of authority without it letting getting to their head. And I'm going to show you in scripture how pride destroyed Satan. His name was Lucifer. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. That's where we're going to start this morning. Ezekiel chapter 28. A couple of you are like, I didn't know there was a book in the Bible named Ezekiel, but that's okay. We're going to read about it today. Ezekiel 28. When you've got it, say amen. I haven't said it yet, so you don't get ahead of me. Somebody asked what verse for those of you that are like, why did he say that? All right. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 12, it says this, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. That lifted up, it's, it, it, it can be translated to say, your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kins that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you you have become a horror and shall be no more forever because of his beauty he thought he could be like god if you go a few books back to the book of isaiah In Isaiah chapter 14, the prophet describes a little bit more the fall of Lucifer. And starting in verse 12 of Isaiah 14, he said, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who are weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. If you spell out the word pride, P-R-I-D-E, right smack in the middle is where pride all starts. And it's with the I. I can do. I am better. I am sufficient. I can accomplish it. And it creeps in on us. And it's at the center of all destruction. See, Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve is there and the serpent comes to her and says, hey, what are you going to be able to eat, right? And she says, God said I can eat everything except of this fruit. Because we're going to die. And the serpent, did God really say you were going to die? No, no, no. He just knows that if you eat it, you will be like him. I can be like God? Give me some of that. Pride creeped in. And it destroys. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18, if you throw up for me, Proverbs 18, it says this in verse 16. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. One more time. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with a low, with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride comes before destruction and pride will bring destruction. And we have to work at eliminating it from our lives. And as a Christian, there is no room for pride in our hearts. There's no room for pride. We see it over and over again, bringing destruction. Can you agree with me that we're seeing it in the NBA finals right now? For those of you who don't watch sports or don't watch basketball, you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's this team in the finals right now that's there for the fifth year in a row. And out of the previous four that they made it there, they won three. They've been called a dynasty. Amazing. They can do it. As a matter of fact, not one person was picking the Raptors to win the NBA Finals. Almost everybody said that the Golden State Warriors would win it in five games. Well, let me tell you something. 
On Monday night is the fifth game, and the series might end with the other team winning. See, Golden State, which is an amazing team, thought they were unstoppable until injuries came, until little divisions have started to fracture, and things are now not going their way. I remember after the first game when they got beat pretty handedly, and all of their players were like, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. You know what, the entire season... They lose the first three quarters and then turn it on in the fourth quarter. Guess what? Pride comes before the fall. I'm not saying Golden State can't win the next three games. I'm not prophesying here it's going to end or anything like that. I'm just using it as an example that we're seeing in the physical how it brings it. Let me give you a biblical example now. Is that okay? Can I use the Bible? Good. Okay, so there's this king in the Bible named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king in the book of Daniel that was so filled with pride, arrogance, self-worth, that he built a giant statue. And he told everybody that when they sounded the trumpet, they had to bow down and worship the statue made in his image. So they bowed the trumpet, or they played the trumpet, and everybody bowed down except three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now they come over and the and Nebuchadnezzar is like, yo, y'all got to bow down. They're like, we're not bowing down. We only bow down to God. It's like, I'm going to give you one more chance. And, and, and if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Basically a big giant easy bake oven. All right. And that wasn't easy bake oven, but a big giant oven that they filled with fire. It was a way that they killed people back then. So they blow the trumpet. And Nebuchadnezzar sees that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow. And they're like, we're going to throw you in the furnace. They put the furnace seven times hotter than regular. And they actually said to them, what God is going to deliver you? Their response was very simple. They said, our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. They played the trumpet. Nebuchadnezzar got the three men, bound them up. And the Bible says that the furnace was so hot that the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died instantly. So Nebuchadnezzar has like this giant window into this oven. Because the Bible says that he's looking and all of a sudden he's like, yo, didn't we throw three guys bound into the fire? He's like, yes, king, we did. It's like, I see four guys free and loose. And the fourth guy looks like the son of God. So they pull them out. He's like, they turn off the fire. They turn off the oven. They're like, Shadrach, Meshach, get on out. So they come on out. Here's the next miracle. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. If you've ever stood around a, 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 a fire pit for about 18 seconds, you smell like smoke for three days. Okay. The youth had a fire, a, a fire pit, a, a, a bonfire a couple of weeks ago. I kid you not. I never went downstairs, but just from walking from the lobby to the kids room next door, I was working on stuff. I got home smelling a little like fire and I was about 48 feet away from the thing. They didn't even smell like fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he proclaims a decree throughout all the land that no one is to worship any God other than the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, come on. What a victory, right? Do you know when's the biggest danger to fall into pride? After a big victory. Because you know what happens in the very next chapter? He has this dream. Nobody can interpret the dream except Daniel. And what was the dream? It was the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had so much pride in him 
that he lost his mind. And for seven years, after that giant victory, for seven years, because of his pride, he lived as a wild animal until he humbled himself before God. Be weary of not falling into pride right after a great victory. Because pride creeps in and says, hey, you got it. You're all good. You saw what happened there? That can be every day. And you don't, you're ready. You made it. Come on, coach. Somebody goes four for four. Do they got to still continue batting practice? It doesn't mean you stop. But in human mindset, we run into this thing of having success. And then we think we attained it. So why Paul said, it's not that I haven't attained, that I've attained it, but I press on towards the goal. And so the more that you have victory and success in God, the more that you need to stay before the presence of God so that you can eliminate the I in you and continue to let the God in you rise. Hezekiah was another example. A king in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he was going to die, be put to death because the pride that had filled his heart And it was coming upon all the children of Israel as well. But he humbled himself before God and God relented and spared their lives. Pride will bring destruction, but humility will bring the grace and mercy of God. We need to understand that no one of us is immune from the trap of pride. And the only way that we can get rid of it is by staying humble. Now, let's talk a little bit here about a sec- for a second about humility and pride. Because sometimes we associate someone who is poor as someone being humble. We use that word, especially in Spanish, son bien humildes, saying that they don't really have much. Man, I've met very, very prideful poor people. And I've met humble, rich people. And on the flip side, I've met very humble, poor people and very prideful, rich people. So what am I trying to say? Your status does not determine whether you walk in humility or pride. Your heart and where you put God in it will determine if you walk in humility or you walk in pride. Humility says, I can't, but you can. Pride says, I can do it without you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Those are my life verses. As a matter of fact, it's the verse that I write down on any dedication that I do of anything. I end it with Proverbs 5, 3, 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Other translation says, he will make your path straight. And if you go to the end of that chapter, in verse 34 of chapter 3, it says this. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Church, as a Christian, there is no room. For pride. Zero. Zilch. I've been in ministry a long time. I just celebrated my 40th birthday, but I've been doing ministry like hardcore, almost full time, probably since I was about in my early teens. 
So I've seen a lot in ministry. And I'm going to be on, I'm giving away a little bit one of my little secrets here. But people that tell me that they feel they have a ministerial call, the first things I put them to do is do the things that nobody wants to do. Let's go move chairs. Let's go move boxes. Let's go set up. Let's print labels. Let's stick things on envelopes. That's what we're doing. I had one guy tell me when I was a youth pastor many years ago, he looked at me straight in the face. I'm, a min- I'm called to be a minister. I don't move chairs. I said, y'all never work in the ministry with me. I just saw pride, red flag, pride. We're called to serve. And the eye needs to be broken because we need to decrease. What does the Bible say? So that, oh, come on, one more time. We need to, so he can increase. And I see ministerial calls in people, man. I read it. When I meet somebody, many times I just see it. And I'm hard on people. I asked you guys a couple weeks ago, if I've ever made you upset, raise your hand. About 75% of you raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to raise it again. I was really embarrassed that day. (laughs) But can I teach you what the role of a pastor is? It's not to be your friend. It's not to be your buddy. It's to teach you how to feed yourself and be able to be a pastor or shepherd to other people too. We promote within our church daily Bible reading. Why? Because I can't be there to answer every question. We promote for you to pray and seek the Lord because when you're facing an adversity and a trial, you've got to be able to stand and overcome. That's the role of a pastor to push you. So if I make you feel a little uncomfortable, say, oh yeah, thank you, pastor. Because the role of my job, my call, is to push you and propel you because the pressures of a life in God and ministry can be unbearable. There's a reason. There's a reason that right now the suicide rate in the life of ministers has grown exponentially over the last 10 years. Ministry ain't easy. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and actually somebody asked me, Pastor, are you okay? How are you? Praise the Lord. Guys, I'm, telling, I'm, dead on, I'm great. We have an, uh, we've worked hard on maintaining a balance of family time, rhythms. My day, I, I, t- Ralph texts me all the time when we need stuff for church or whatever, and sometimes he'll text me on the day that I'm taking as my day, and I won't respond. And the next day, he's like, Pastor D, bro, yo, like you really took that day off. Seriously, I text you. You didn't answer me. I was like, I was giving time to my wife. It was us. We didn't have to go anywhere. Sometimes we just sit on the couch and hold each other's hand. And sometimes they'll even turn the TV on, just sit there. So we work hard at having balance. We went out of town on Thursday, right after the girls let out from school. We were out of town till yesterday. And guess what? Right after service today, I'm going to say, peace out. And I'm going back with my family for another four days. Came to deliver this message today, and then we're going back where they are my focus, my everything. We're keeping that balance. Why? Because the pressures of ministry can be overwhelming. As a matter of fact, let's take it a step further. The pressures of saying in today's society, I believe in God and I am a Christian, can be overwhelming. Just straight, forget ministry aside, just telling people, I believe in God. Hey, you want a drink? No, I don't, I, I've chosen not to drink. Oh, but why? Are you judging me? I didn't say you can't drink. I just said I chose not to. No, come do this. I, I don't participate in that. Oh, but why? You're depriving. No, 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 no. I've just chosen to live my life a certain way. Church, you got to be able to stand. 
you have to be able to stand. And you don't stand on your strength. The I needs to die. Because it's him who lives in us. God hates pride. He hates it. As a matter of fact, look what Psalms 138.6 says. Psalms 138 verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly, the humble, but the proud he knows from afar. Pride must die. There is no room for pride. First Peter chapter 5, if we go there, First Peter chapter 5, towards the end of your Bible, right before 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Judah, and Revelation. And all the parents who have been hearing their kids sing that song said, amen. Y'all know, our kids are in the middle of a series called Sweets. And they've learning about the word of God is sweet to their life. And so we've challenged all the kids to learn all the books of the Bible in order. So there's this song that we've emailed out to all the parents that you can play with them and, and they can hear it and sing it. And, uh, and, and that's, it, that's the way it is. I would sing it to you, but I don't want it to rain. So we'll go from there. First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world but the but may the god of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Jump back to verse number six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. See, false humility tells people, oh no, I'm not worth it, I'm, I'm this, it, but it's, it's them putting it upon themselves. Real humility is still knowing who you are and your authority, but under the umbrella of God. See, we have to be under the mighty hand of God. We need to pray about things. Pursue God when we're making choices and decisions. Because again, I thinks I know best, but God knows more than me. If you flip to the book before, is the book of James, and in chapter 4, verse 6, he says the same thing. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God resist the devil and he will flee. 
to, uh, Patty and I, the other day when we were at the beach, we, we took the cart with the umbrella and the chairs and all the different things, right? And we went for a walk, getting shells. We like going shelling. And we're walking around and we're looking for the shells or whatever. And we got back to our cart and there was a bunch of little fly gnat type animals. It wasn't mosquitoes, but there was a bunch of these little things. And when we got there and we went to the bag to get the things, they all dispersed. They wouldn't be there while we were there. And then we'd walk away and they'd kind of come back, right? And I saw such a picture. I told you, this message has been stirring in my heart. And I just saw that picture of when you submit to God, right? When you come to where God is, the enemy has to disperse. I'm going to let you in on a secret which is actually not a secret. It should be like planted everywhere. You are not on your own strong enough to face the devil. It's I can do all things through Christ. And what do we do? We have people who had issues with whatever. Okay, let's put a name on it. They had issues with lust. And everything that they saw, they were watching uh, inappropriate materials, they were doing all kinds of things. They think they were trying to get rid of everything. So they were at the point where like, you know, we, we, I'm good. I'm, I, I'm not even blinders. I'm not going to watch anything. Then they overcame it. They're, they haven't watched it in a long time. So now there's a movie that's going to be playing that's rated R for nudity. It's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm strong enough. And all you know, it boom, that it comes in and entices you. Somebody had an issue with Alcohol. I remember somebody sharing a testimony one time that they had an issue with alcohol. They were an alcoholic. By definition, having a drink is not a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. That's what the Bible says. But do you know there's some people that were an alcoholic? And for that person, one drink can destroy them. So I know this guy or met this, uh, this guy who was an alcoholic. And he used to have to ride the bus. And the bus stop where he lived, the closest bus stop, was right across the street from a bar. So the guy, he lived in Chicago, even in the winter, would walk a block to the next bus stop. And his friends asked him, bro, with this cold weather, what are you doing walking a block? He says, it's cold, and if I sit there long enough, staring at that bar, one day I'm going to walk in because it's cold. And before you know it, I'm going to be back where I was. We can never get to the place where we think we mastered it. We conquered it. Because we're never going to be free or void of temptation. So get rid of anything that is going to help you say to yourself, I can do it. I'm strong. I haven't smoked a cigarette for three months. It's not going to be something wrong to be in the area where people are smoking. No, bro, if that's the smoking section, section sit three miles away. Because one day, a little bit of the smoke in a moment of weakness reverts you back to where you were. It's like that with anything. Throw a sin at me. I'll spit it back at you. Because that's the situation. Anything that we think we have mastered will fall right back into because it's not on our strength. It's always on God's strength.
And when we understand that the I didn't do it, the he in me did it, we're able to continue to stand. So if you go back here, it says, and we're, we're sorry, we're got, James chapter 4, get back to the Bible. Submit to God, verse 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Church, we all have a sin problem. Every single one of us, this guy included, we have a sin problem. We were born with a sin nature which is why we need to put standards around us connected to God to keep us from falling back into what tempted us. Remember, we preached about this in the Red Series. Remember every day. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. The devil who operates in shame tries to make you feel that because you were tempted, you sinned. Temptation is not a sin. You resist, and he flees. You submit to the mighty hand of God. You humble yourself. You clothe yourself with humility. And every day you wake up and say, God, I can't, but you can. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you say, "I'm David. my name is David. Like, David, remember, you're a man. You can fall. Submit to God. Remind yourself every day. Put up things to protect you so that you don't fall into it. Y'all know I love food, so I always give examples on food. I'm trying to lose some weight. And you know what's the bad thing to losing weight? Chocolate Trinity ice cream from Publix. Come on, y'all. How many of you had chocolate Trinity ice cream from Publix? If you haven't, don't. All right? It's chocolate ice cream with little peanut butter cups inside and fudge swirls. Sometimes I'm not even hungry, but if it's in the fridge, I'm like, mmm, I just want a spoonful. It's the worst thing. So how do I overcome it? I don't buy it. I walk into Publix, it's buy one, get one free, get thee behind me, Satan Bogo. I shall not fall today, right? I must die. The I, the I, I can do it. I can, I am able. Come on, some of us are two-year-olds. Can do it. Mine. That's what Samantha's in right now. Everything is hers. Everything. Like her sister just opened the toy. Mine. I. Mine. I. Mine. Uh huh. And then you get her, and literally two fingers. No se hace.
make herself throw up. Literally, I'm not, I am not exaggerating. Literally, two fingers, just put it there. You don't hit, you don't spank. She's not even two, she's there two in two weeks. Literally, it's just to get the concept of this is that I'm breaking, I have to. As her parent, because I love her, I gotta break the eye. Y'all get mad when God does it to you. Oh, that laughter turned to joy real quick. I mean, I'm mourning real quick there. I can do it, God. I can do it. No puedes. Papo, no puedes. The eye must die because there is no room for pride in the life of a Christian. Say it with me. There's no room for pride. Come on, one more time. There's no room for pride. 